This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And as usual, I'm here with my co-host, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist, Americus Reed. Hi, Barbara. Now, let me just say this. Uh, <laughs> you sound like you're feeling a little bit better. You were not in last week. You had a little bit of flu symptoms, no? It was, uh, That's right, and I still tough. have a cough. Yeah, so. yeah, and you're sucking on a cough longins as right. we speak. As we speak. Yeah. Keeping my throat lubricated. Yep. You See feeling how better? This works. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. I sound terrible, but <laughs> that's okay. It's okay. Right? It's radio. It doesn't yeah, really it doesn't matter, matter how well we sound, sound right? right? On radio, it doesn't really matter how we sound. Exactly. But, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're interested, Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from five to seven p.m. Eastern Time, and we replay it several times during the week. But today we have a great show lined up. At five o'clock, we're going to talk to Jonathan A.J. Wilson with person with a PhD, and he's a professor at GSM, London and Holt International Business School, and he's the founding partner of the brand strategy firm Dragonfly Black. He's going to talk to us about multicultural marketing and his research on ethnic markets and specifically the Islamic market. And then at 5.30, Americus and I are going to ask you what you think, and we're going to talk about what we think about all the latest marketing news stories. So what are we going to talk about, Americus? So today's going to be very interesting, Barbara, because it's hot right now. The news is a buzz. People are really, really like in the streets. Uh, everything that happened tragically recently in Parkland, Florida, uh, with the shooting that happened, absolutely terrible event. Uh, there's now a ground, huge groundswell of activism that is afoot, and it's absolutely amazing right now that NRA is under fire uh, by various consumer groups and, and all of this, and companies now are beginning to actually take stances against on the NRA. Sides. On both sides. Yes, yeah, so I saw Fox News come out with their Fo- Fox yes, News story. Yes, Fox News probably said, let me guess, something to the effect of, you are a cowardice liberal if you are taking away the rights of our members. Yeah, is that close? Very that, close. I yes. don't even need to see it. I could almost paraphrase it without even knowing. What right, they said, but yeah. we, we're not discussing it now, mind you. We're yes. discussing yeah, it. Yeah, sorry. Now. I'm just getting so excited. <laughs> I, I just, I'm absolutely excited about this. But, but it but. is a really interesting uh, uh, topic. So yes. stay tuned. Call in with what you think about the NRA and the boycott and which side you're on and whether it makes sense. And then at six o'clock, we'll have Alan Frost and Beth Lorge of Flava. Naturals. They were on campus yesterday, and America's had a chance to sit down with them and talk to them about their startup and how marketing a product works when you have to educate your consumers to do that. So mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. going to. Did they come to your class? They are doing a group project in my class, wow. and uh, it'll be pretty cool. We'll have a listen to that interview, and we can react to it a little bit later. That'd be great. And then finally, at six thirty, we have Sarah Steimer. She's the staff writer for Marketing News. And she's the producer and a host of Answers in Action, which is America's market, America Marketing Association's podcast. And she's going to discuss her recent article about how airlines get the customer experience wrong. Go figure. Airlines get customer <laughs> wow, really? Experience They're not wrong. doing well on customer experience? I'm shocked. Pretty surprising. Yeah, huh? Well, yeah. she'll tell us all about that. So that'll be interesting. So it's obviously a great show. Uh, and we're going to start right now with our first guest, Jonathan A.J. Wilson. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Hi, John. This is Americus. I uh, wanted to give you a quick shout-out. Uh, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, everything good? 
Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Okay, London is about minus five. We've got snow. Um, we're not used to snow, so everyone's panicking. Okay, cool. Hmm, a little hard to understand you. Are you speaking closely into your phone? Uh, is that better? Can you hear me better now? Yeah. Is it, I think it's a little bit it's better. It's better, yeah. yeah. You're in uh, London, though, so it's your... Oh, well, you're that quite, explains it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Okay, so we're going to talk with you about multicultural marketing, ethnic and Islamic markets. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, and before you do that, uh, John, I want to just point out to the listeners, give a quick shout-out to you. Uh, give us the, the website really quickly, your website. Dragonflyback.com. Okay, cool. We'll repeat that as well. I want uh, listeners to know that uh, part of his brand, well, you may not know this, Barbara. No, I don't. He's the pink shoes guy. Oh, what yeah. does that mean? It's fant- He'll tell us a little bit about this as he talks to us about his journey, but it's a fantastic brand. He- he's into branding. He's a brand guru, uh, international branding expert, and has a really cool personal brand. So he'll tell us a little bit about that uh, as he describes his journey. Go ahead, John. Yeah, you know, um, that's, a, that's a story in itself. But, I mean, if, if I go a little bit further back, I'll, I'll give you the, the full disclosure because it's after the watershed, right? It's 10 p.m. Mm. UK time. So my father's white and Scottish, and he's from a family of medics, and my mother is Caribbean and black. Mm. She's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And they fell in love uh, in a hospital, right? So basically what I'm trying to say is my mom dreamed about me becoming a surgeon, and I wanted to be a surgeon oh. right up until applying, and I never actually applied to medical school. Now... Uh, you might say, why didn't you want to fulfill your mum's dreams? And funnily enough, my little brother is, uh, he's a plastic surgeon. He's a consultant surgeon. Okay. So he oh, did. Good. So he made my mum happy. <laughs> and you, what yeah. did you do? <laughs> yeah, what did I, well, I, I was the guinea pig because I think, you know, our family learned some lessons from my progress. And basically, uh, I went to a selective grammar school. There were about 1,500 children. And I could count on one hand how many uh, black pupils there were. Mm. So if I think diplomatically and pragmatically i just think people couldn't visualize how a black boy was going to get into medical school but they could visualize how i could play rugby really well and i, I made the England <laughs> squad for rugby mm-hmm. i was good at music and things like that so I, I actually took myself out of the game and didn't apply to medical school but to keep my mom happy and because i like science mm-hmm. i said you know what I'll, I'll go and do a science degree and then i'll come back to medicine and then I kind of never actually did because I <laughs> fell in love with bass guitars and oh, nice. rock bands. And, oh, very um, nice. But it's interesting because if we look at some of the stats, actually in the UK, you know, um, it's, it's a different landscape to the US, of course. But there are very few black Caribbeans that actually end up going to medical school. If mm. you think about academia, which is the profession I'm in now, mm-hmm. you know, there are 20,000 professors. There are, I don't know, there's a, a very, very small number of black minority ethnic professors. There mm-hmm. are 17 black female professors in the UK. Wow. In the whole country? Yeah, like England, Scotland. I mean, if you, that, More than one country in the whole UK. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, the thing is that I guess I, I've chosen these difficult paths, right, where um, let's, if, if we're to be kind of uh, sympathetic about this, uh, People just aren't used to seeing these sorts of people in professions, and so I'm not going to call it racism, but I'm going to call it maybe unconscious bias Mm -hmm. or pragmatism or something. So I ended up in university with my love of science. I kind of fell out of love of science for a a couple of reasons. I think maybe bass guitars were the reason. But then advertising was one of those areas where it was fun, it was vibrant, and they kind of reached out to me, you know, and... 
And I will say as well, back in the 90s, Jobs. If you're Jonathan Wilson and you're applying from Scotland, then they assume that you're a white Scottish guy. But mm. at a few jaw-dropping moments when they see a kind of six-foot guy with an afro and... Mm-hmm. And pink know, shoes. Like... <laughs> yeah. All right, you're going to have to tell us about these pink shoes. Americus has been taunting us now twice. <laughs> so it's funny because, I, you know, on my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that I've got a pair of uh, Pharrell Adidas originals, mm. Sam Smith. Adidas. Mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. In and then the U.S. for our U.S. audiences, that's... Adidas. Yes, but, but when you say Adidas, you're like totally Adidas. legit, Adidas. man. Yes. <laughs> totally. Sorry, Run DMC. Yeah, my Adidas. <laughs> no, but you're right. That is the right That's way to right. pronounce it. That's right. It's my Adidas. <laughs> you are correct, sir. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, because yeah, we're close to Germany, so otherwise I'll get, I'll get like, kind of told off. But, um, yeah, I bought the pink pair because they were cheaper than all the other pairs. <laughs> <laughs> and people, people started to see some logic in that. And then if you look on LinkedIn or the profiles, if you want to post a picture, I thought... Pink is a color that's not really featuring for guys. And mm-hmm. then it was funny that I started to get into researching pink. And then I got a pink laptop cover for my MacBook Pro hmm. because I thought, you know, if you're, if you're a black Muslim and you go through, uh, you know, various airport lounges, when they scan your laptop, then they're not going to think you're a terrorist, right? It's got a pink, <laughs> got a pink laptop. You know, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is pretty brilliant, yeah. So then I ended up just like buying pink things and I've got two daughters and they love the color pink. And people started to make sense of it. Like, oh, you must know about pink. I even got contacted by a newspaper talking about why pink is trending and there were, mm. there were kind of soccer players wearing pink football boots. Mm-hmm. So pink was the hot it. color this year, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I think apparently green is the next hot color. And mm. funnily enough, when I went to Adidas' website at Christmas, uh, mint green superstars, uh, no, sorry, mint green Stan Smiths were the cheapest ones, so I bought a pair of those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pink's gone up in price. But the color pink, if we go back to the Great Gatsby, and, and there was a kind of the catwalk in 2014 oh. where you know, the, the iconic pink suit when DiCaprio was wearing in the movie mm-hmm. in the 1920s, and then it goes back to the fact that the color pink was a, a kind of a sanitized version of the color for war, which is red, and it was pink was a masculine color. Wow, so that's a, interesting. A blue-collar worker at the weekend would wear pink. Hmm. Now, the flip happened. You've got to blame us marketers for that because... Baby blue was the color for, for women and pink was the color for men. And it kind of flipped. Uh, and then we started to have baby clothes that were pink and blue because before, mm. you, know, you think pragmatically, baby clothes were just all white. Mm-hmm. You know, most, most babies, like, you know, maybe if you ask your parents, they probably wore a white dress, whether they were male or female. Mm. But, you know, us marketers started to say that pink is for girls, blue is for boys, and then you increase demand and interest. So, yeah, pink's made a comeback, but it's probably not the first time. Um so, yeah, I, I guess I'm fascinated by those little kind of nerdy things like color and, mm-hmm. and disrupting and challenging perceptions because I thought, you know, if I wear pink shoes or an orange tie or something, then it's like if you go to a conference, if you're going to stand on stage, then give them something to look at, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is changing my whole wardrobe. <laughs> I wear black, white, and yes. gray all the black, time. Black, white, and gray. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, well, it, obviously, it's, it's part of the brand, though, right? Because you are very much now well-known for this, right? This is sort of like... Like part of like your your calling card of sorts, right? Yeah, I guess um, it's because I take calculated risks. I think that I wouldn't say that I'm a disruptor. I think I'm a bit of a free spirit, and I like to challenge norms, right? So, uh, you know, people used to say, or then say, don't talk about race, religion, and politics. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, you know, if you've got these great professors, and we know all the great professors in running and marketing, and I thought, who's going to want to kind of listen to what I have to say? Well, maybe if I talk about the things 
that other people don't. You know, and the worst that could happen is you don't get invited back. But mm. I no, that's a really happened to me. This is interesting. I got invited back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was in the US a few times last year, uh, talking about race and religious issues. Um, and so, are you a very religious person? Yeah, I, do you know what? I'm a Muslim. So, well, I converted. I'm from a Christian family, and I converted about 18 years ago. I would call myself religious. I don't. I gave up alcohol. I pray. I fast. So, yeah, religion mm-hmm. is serious to me. But um, I think, like you know, some of these other iconic individuals, like Muhammad Ali or something, finds that kind of path mm-hmm. where where you, you know you think that there are there are great things that you can do. Like you know, my my co-partner of Dragonfly Black, Muhammad Haraldas. I mean, he's from Cali, and he's just finished writing a book that's going to come out called To God Through Money. Mm. And so he's going to be disrupting because he wants people to think about, like, you know, one of the things that we talk about is happy money. So, you know, is there a just right proposition? You know, how much money do you need to make you happy? And, mm. and is your business strategy? Oh, there's an, an academic paper on that, something like 75000 a year, $75,000. Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. That figure that people come out with. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then we're thinking, how, how do you apply that to branding? How do you uh, include the religious dimension? Because the elephant in the room seems to be mm. there are lots of people that have a faith of sorts. And so I've even, like I, I published a paper a few years ago looking at customer after lifetime value because I thought, you know, <laughs> a, life, a lifetime value. But if people think of an afterlife, whether that's kind of, you know, Hinduism. we got to get Pete to get working on monetizing <laughs> right, right. that. Pete, Pete Fader is our <laughs> colleague who, who yeah, studies CLV, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit more carefully about about satisfying somebody who believes in all eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's yeah. t- let's get back to this Islam thing because I am really interested in that. And America's was saying it's pretty interesting to think about how do you start branding a religion. So yeah. you are religious. You've adopted it as your personal religion. You've adopted what it means to you. Now, why why do you have to take it to the next step and think of it as a brand? Well, actually, I mean, okay. I, in some senses, religion is perhaps the first brand, right? In some senses, right? Religion in sort of the, the early days of like, how do you get people to follow and believe in what it is that you stand for and, and to be devoted to the principles of what it is that you stand for? I mean, brands are basically doing this, right? This is kind of what really good branding is, right, John? I agree. And kind of like trying to understand branding took me on that journey of going back to studying philosophy and mm-hmm. kind of looking at, at the major religions. Because then if you think about, you know, some of those papers where they talk about the holy grail of branding or how brands become icons, mm-hmm. iconography is, you know, Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. So, so people have been trying to graft these principles derived from religion about how you get... Oh, rituals. so you think brand follows religion, not the other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I, well, I think, I think there's kind of, you know, they're chasing each other's tail, right, <laughs> at the moment. Mm-hmm. In many places, but but yeah, I think if we if we for academic purposes treat religion as a cultural construct, and we treat brands as cultural agents, right, as cultural artifacts, whether brands shape culture or culture shapes brands, then I think that we can start to see patterns. So if you think about, say, your football follower, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a fan, you know, you go and worship at a certain stadium. You have, you know, rituals, there are things that you do, you know, you're a professor of hip-hop marketing, (laughs) it's four elements, you know, we worship around the turntables, you know, I mean, there are are loads of things where there are actually, if you take that approach, there are parallels Mm -hmm. now. Wait, let me, let me just reintroduce you. We're talking to Jonathan A.J. Wilson. He's a professor at GSM London and Halt International Business School, and he's the founding partner of Dragonfly Black. 
And he's really interested in this. He's coined the term brand Islam. And he's been talking about the relationship between religion and branding Mm -hmm. and how they kind of chase each other's tail, so to speak. So I'm sorry I interrupted. What were you saying? No, that was a good good summary. Um, So basically what I'm saying is that if we look at branding and we look at religion, I think a lot of brand theory and books, I mean, the pioneers are coming out of North America in terms of documenting those in, from, from study textbooks. You know, Japan also has some great brands. If you look at the top 100 brands, most of them are coming from Europe and North America. Yes, now, and, and uh, was, some from Asia and Japan. Yeah, but there's probably only about, you know, in the top 100, there are only kind of, there are under 20. Toyota, Samsung, those, yeah. Yeah, there's about like seven Nokia. from Japan, a couple, a couple from Korea, right. like mm-hmm. one from India, one from China. Right. Uh, so the, the, relatively, there aren't that many, and there's this big gaping hole where there's the rest of the world and especially with Black Panther being a movie mm. that Africa, Yes, did you see that movie? Do you know what? I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been following it on social media and it's on my to-do list. I've been kind of, I had a few deadlines. and some things Well, it's really an amazing thing. It's just breaking um, box office records and it's kind of a cultural phenomenon here. Yeah, of course. And I think it's going to you know, highlight the fact that Africa, you know, people talk about Africa like they talk about a country. Mm-hmm. But, it's, you know, it's deep and it's diverse. And, and so similarly with branding, I felt that, that you know, I, I wrote a paper where I, I put forward this idea that, you know, if, if branding is, is basically molded around one religion, which is a monotheistic Christianity, like let's say another religion was in power. Let's say it was Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. What would brand theory and practice look like? Mm. Like if we, if we map these religions, how does that work in a different way? So... I mean, hmm. you, you spoke about religion and branding, and the, the other thing that I think is interesting is if you look at the religious leaders, and I'm th- talking about Moses and Jesus and Muhammad and all of these people, like, you know, th- there are details, anecdotes, stories, how they move people, feeding the 5,000, you know, parting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And even in one branding class, you know, I asked people, you know, what are their favorite stories? And there was one. A uh, student who said, "Look, I'm an atheist, but uh, actually, I like the story of Moses. It's a, it's an amazing story." And and so I think that actually religion has been useful because if you think about trying to get that image, identity, personality, you know, these are individuals in history who have made people kind of change their lives, like devote themselves, their entire lives and their families' lives. And that's why branding draws from religion. Mm-hmm. Now, when when I thought about brand Islam, now. It was slightly tongue-in-cheek because the, I did a, an article for the Guardian newspaper where I said, brand Islam is the new black. <laughs> now, a lot of people took it as a positive thing, but this, it was slightly tongue-in-cheek because yeah, in terms of the new black, obviously we know that people say that on the catwalk, like, you know, blue is the new black or whatever. Right, right. But, uh, but I, was, I was trying to link discussions to, if we think about, you know, in your part of the world, the American civil rights movement, African-Americans, hip-hop culture, mm-hmm. black culture, and how it was considered niche, and then it became mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that potentially what's going on in the Muslim world and with Muslims outside of the Muslim world, something similar could happen. But, but there's a kind of, you know, there are a lot of areas where is it appreciation over appropriation, you know, mm. and there are these social tensions. And, and so some people are going to pick up the banner and basically say, yep, religion is great, quarter of the world's population a Muslim. You know, Can I just stop young... you for one second? When you say, I know you were being somewhat tongue-in-cheek when you said brand Islam is the new black, but when I hear that term, I think of it in terms of economic um, terms. So, like, you know, yeah. is there money to be made? Did you mean it in that way at all? 
Yeah, I think that there is money to be made. Now, and after I wrote that article, I, you know, there were some politicians in the UK that actually started talking about brand Islam, and, and then it became this thing where I heard quite a few people mention it. I'm not going to say it was just me that coined it, but perhaps I had, you know, I was part of that that mm-hmm. kind of caravan of, of interest. Now, right. the thing is, if you're talking about uh, making money or economic value, I'm all for that, right? That's happy money. But the, the question is, if you've got uh, a community, for example. And, and this is why I picked the African-American community as kind of a, a, a case in practice. Hip-hop industry, hair industry, whichever one you want to pick. If all of your consumers are black, but the people in senior positions of authority are not black, and, and I, you know, I, I jokingly call that the pint of Guinness phenomenon. I don't know if you think Guinness <laughs> in America, but, you know, yeah. white on the top and black on the bottom, right? But, yeah. but you know, if, if they're not benefiting, then is that really... Happy money is that really economically what what should be happening now? When you put religion into the mix, now the challenge is when I'm dealing with a lot of these, especially the, the Muslim nations, where they will say that religion is very important, and I'm not saying that it's not, because on the ground level, if you go to the villages and places, people are devoted, but they're, they're accounting for the, basically their own good deeds and sins. But when you think about at a governmental level, now you know if. From a religious perspective, you love for your brother what you love for yourself. But then if you're a country and you've got a battle of nation brands where you're trying to get your country to be the top tourist destination, you know, Egypt wants to have more tourists than Turkey, than Malaysia or Dubai or wherever it is, that becomes difficult because now you're, you're kind of mixing religion with politics, with economics. Mm. And that's what I think that we should be careful because there are going to be some casualties, right, where some people are going to be exploited or there's a risk that religion... Kind of, you know, you're going to wear out religion. Basically, it will become something which doesn't mean what it used to mean. And I think, if we think about some of the words that we use in business speak or hip hop speak or cultural speak, then then words wear in and out, right? When when they kind of they're stripped of their meaning. And so when you talk about hip hop or you talk about, I, I mean, I can think even like something like the Me Too movement. I don't know if you're familiar with that in the U.S., yeah. which you know is kind of a woman's movement of some sort. Um, I think of imagery that comes on, or you know, like icons. You know, you said that. So, what are the kind of imagery that you want to be associated with the brand Islam? Well, I would like to move away from this idea of it being a desert religion. I want to get away from the color green, from stars and crescents, from all that cinematography where you see swarthy males <laughs> with broken English, with uh, you know, with with scarves around their head and stuff, and actually a real lived experience. <laughs> have real individuals and so you know i mean i was quite clear about saying you know i I was actually in the u.s when i saw uh, muhammad ali's funeral on on television Mm -hmm. and you see how this was a complicated individual who who moved so many people around the world and and i think that those things are fascinating so if you think about the religion you know you've got a very diverse community you know i've been lucky enough to travel to you know to, to large parts of the muslim world you know saudi arabia is different than iran than Syria, than Kazakhstan, than Bangladesh, than Malaysia, than Indonesia, than Egypt. You know, these are some of the countries that I've been to. And I've only got a sense of that when I've been on the ground and met the people and broken bread with them, you know? Um, I mean, if you just read the CIA fact book or the Pew Research Forum about these statistics, it, it dehumanizes large communities. I mean, for example, I've got a PhD. She just finished a PhD looking at offensive advertising in Egypt, Mm -hmm. and she's Egyptian, so she was on the ground in Egypt, and she was collecting data. And uh, people would think, and and actually, you know, within even some ad agencies like Ogilvy Noor or something, they've been talking about 
how uh, religiously observant Muslims are. Actually, the guiding principles are people don't like to be patronized, and, and they like and they're influenced by their parents. Mm-hmm. These have you know, fundamental influences on people's behavior, but they might call it religion, or they, you might look at somebody because of the clothes that they wear, or, or you know, or the box ticks that, that, that they've gone under, and then think that it's religion, but actually, you know, these are very nuanced things. Religiosity is incredibly complicated, and I actually get annoyed sometimes when I see papers where they want to test religiosity, like, you know, when she first came to me as a student, I was like, so are you going to go in Shisha cafes and mosques? and schools and shopping malls and test people's religiosity on those different days and occasions because they're going to have massive differences. Mm-hmm. So I guess and, and, if I let me just see if I'm tracking what you're saying. So you're saying that it, 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 it's hard for you to answer my question in one way because it's so diverse. And that's yeah. really the, what you want. That's kind of the point that you want to make. Yeah. And, and it's diverse in a good way. And it's fun and it's complicated. And it would be a shame and it's hard. I mean, sorry, academics, sorry, kind of advertising people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd love an off-the-shelf solution that basically says, you know, here's Brun Islam. Like, you know, right, you that's know, what I was five, asking you sure. for. Right. You know, that's right. what everyone's asking me for. And, yeah. and um, it, I could give them an off-the-shelf solution, and it might look like it's working, but it won't work for very long. But that's you know, a very hard marketing ploy. I mean, one of the things that we do teach in branding is you do a lot of complicated analysis, but in the end, you do take it down to an elevator speech, right? A brand mantra, so that you do yeah. try to simplify it so people can understand the complex. Yeah, I mean, if I give you an example of where it works, I, I did uh, a small project with KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, obviously, who, are going, who went through a chicken drought in the UK. Mm-hmm. But I did something with them um, because they have some halal... Uh, ah. Chicken, they have um, I think it's about a hundred in the UK, um, and they do really well. They outperform uh, the non-halal restaurants. So halal, for those people that don't know, means uh, basically it's the same as kosher. It's food which is acceptable for Muslims. So uh, the, the chicken has been killed with a blessing in a certain way. So they they have all halal restaurants in in the UK, and there are about a hundred of them. Their profits are much higher. Now, the challenge for KFC is how do you balance this idea of going all halal at all restaurants and mm-hmm. then attracting negative publicity where people start to think that, you know, other the Muslims are taking over our chicken. Mm. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Being yes. undermined, like, you know, you can't take our chicken wings or, yes. like, you know. And, and so that, that becomes a challenge, getting the blend of the secret sauce right for companies where they're able to target consumers and they're able to celebrate their values and, we, and, you know, last year we saw a lot more of that. I think I kind of joked that hijabs are the new blondes, you know, mm-hmm. women that wear headscarves. Right, you know, you right. That, you know, if you wanted to get more eyeballs in the advert, then put a headscarf in it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what happened last year. And, and then you have some wins like Ibtihaj Mohammed, you know, your Olympic fencer. You know, she um, has a Barbie doll. Nike came out with a hijab. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, now I'm understanding. Yeah. Yeah, there's no coincidence that Nike's had reported some, some low uh, some low figures recently, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an untapped market, which is the Muslim world. You've got these women who feel that they don't have clothing that allows them to do things. And then you can see some really snazzy creative. They've designed a headscarf, which um, which takes into account kind of, you know, sporting excellence. It's not just a piece of cloth, but it's a, mm-hmm. a piece of equipment. And you can see that then, when you look at it from this perspective, as a... Uh, it, it's a 
massive market and there are loads of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, you know, so let me let me just I want to jump in okay. real quick, uh, John, and ask you, I, as to Barbara's point, I don't want to trivialize what is a very complicated process, but I would like for you to, if you could, uh, kind of give us what you think are, you know, for brands that are trying to move into this space, into a kind of new cultural milieu, if you will, uh, how you, what would you say are the top three things that they should be doing, they need to be doing, they absolutely have to be doing, as you, for example, would advise them at Dragonfly Black? What are those three things that you would say, you got to pay attention to these three things? So I would say, you know, number one, you've, you've got to surround yourself with experts, a diverse set of experts. And that becomes tricky because you're going to have loads of people saying that they're experts and they could be kind of, you know, by the, by the I don't know, Muslim by name or maybe they're from a certain country. But you, you should try and find a diverse set of experts. That, that's really important. And don't underestimate like In the same way as, you know, if, if we're looking at the black market or, or you wanted to market to women, if you said, find me a woman and, and, and let her tell me about how to market to women, it would sound ridiculous, right? So, mm-hmm. so get yourself some get yourself some diverse experts mm-hmm. and, and and give them some tricky questions and just observe what sort of answers they give you. The next set is I think that we have to look for behavioural nuances and changes. So uh, I've said that it's complicated, but what you can test is how people change their behaviour when you do something mm. to look at what response they give and to see how long that response lasts. So for example, sometimes people talk a lot about you know certain parts of the Muslim world boycotting products. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay, they might boycott a product, but for how long? Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and why? And if they boycotted that product, does that mean that they're boycotting America? Often that's not the case. So I think the thing that people miss is they don't look for behavioral changes. And I would say that that's exactly the same as advice I'd give in the mainstream. If someone was saying, I want to develop a new app or something like that, like, you know, don't think about, like, I want to be the next Facebook. Think about, well, what behavioral change occurred? Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, you know, iPhones being like just over a decade old, like, you know, how do we behave now mm-hmm. compared to how we behaved before? And I, I joked at a conference because I said that one of the behavioral changes I've noticed is that people communicate in the toilet. <laughs> now, if you look at the stats, a significant percentage of people are using their phones in the toilet, mm-hmm. answering mm-hmm. calls, making calls, answering the call of nature, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, if you, go, if you go to a shopping mall, you will see people go into a cubicle to get some privacy in order to what check the yeah. messages <laughs> people are taking selfies in the bathroom because of the lights um, but to me that's a significant behavioral change mm-hmm. because now you're seeing people communicate in a different way before people just use you know jonathan i need to just be mindful of time so i just want to make sure we get all those three things so the first thing was do the exor- uh, experts right and yeah. what what's the second one then? Checking for behavioral nuances and really framing it in terms of those changes of behavior rather than other okay. kinds of Okay, and you haven't gotten things. to the third one. We only have a couple minutes. So what's the third one? Oh, tell them to get in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well done, sir. Wow, you are a marketing now guru. Now I know why you are lingering on that second one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. I really appreciate it. And if you want to learn more about Jonathan and Dragonfly Black, you can follow him on Twitter at Dr. John Wilson. Up next, Marketing in the News. So that and your calls right after this on Marketing Matters. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. 
insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.